yeah, let's just come and imperfectly worship God this morning and know that we don't have to be perfect this morning. Like we don't have to have, you don't have to have it figured out. Maybe you had a bad week. Maybe you didn't read the Bible at all this week. That's okay. Worship him today. Worship him this morning. Give him your affection. So let me pray. God, um, we love you, and I thank you that we have the awesome privilege to be able to come into your presence. I thank you, God, that it is a, a matter of fact that you are here with us this morning in a random school library in the middle of Oshawa, Ontario. Out of all places, you are here with us. Your presence is in this place, and you want to speak to us this morning through your word. God, may we not pass up the incredible opportunity we have to hear from the creator of the universe. May our ears be attentive to what you want to say. May you have your way in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, speak through me. Move me out of the way. I pray that every single person in this room would see Jesus lifted up, glorified this morning, that I would be a, a flashing arrow pointing right at you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we're continuing our series this morning on our strategy, right? So, if you remember our strategy, look up, look in, look out. Look up to God, look into community, and look out to the world. Uh, and today, we're going to be talking about looking up to God. Uh, last week, I said that, uh, you know, I kind of touched briefly on each one, look up, look in, look out last week. And last week, I said that practically, uh, what that looks like is, uh, alone time with God, basically, right? The way that we uh, worship God and we look up to Him is spending alone time with Him. So we talked about how, how Jesus would do that, right? And He would often go away by Himself uh, into a desolate place to pray, spent time with the Father. Uh, and so it, it makes sense that if we want to be disciples that do what Jesus did in the same spirit that Jesus did it, then we need to spend time with Jesus, right? Does everybody agree with that? Like, if we want to become more like Jesus, we should probably spend time with Him? Yeah, absolutely, right? So, is anybody, everybody, I guess, is familiar with the phrase, you are what you eat, correct? So um, that's not actually true, like literally true. I know that because if it was, I would be a pint of Ben and Jerry's chocolate fudge ice cream. And you can ask my wife, she'll verify that. I eat way too much of that stuff, but it's delicious. So, but there, there is a sense in which, you know, that's not what people mean actually, but there is a sense in which it's true. I was reading a story this past week, and there's a, there's a type of cattle called, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's called Wagyu cattle, Wagyu cattle, uh, and it's in Australia uh, primarily where they raise it, and uh, apparently the price on, the price on this beef is going through the roof, like people are loving it, and they can't get enough. Well, it turns out that the secret uh, for this company that's raising the Wagyu cattle is what they're doing is in the last two months of the cattle's life before they go to slaughter, um, and those animal lovers, yes, I'm sorry, that actually does happen, that's how we get meat. So before the cattle go to slaughter in the last two months, they will feed the cattle, the cows, a diet of candy, chocolate, and cookies. No joke. And so they do that for the last couple months of the life of the cattle, and then when it goes to slaughter, actually when they process the meat, the meat it gives the meat a, a slightly uh, sweeter taste, and people love it. And it's no joke, it's going for as much as $300 a pound. Is that, that meat is selling for as much, some of the cuts of meat, $300 a pound. No, not kidding, this is a real story. If you want, I'll even give you the link to the article where I found it. So, 
You know, I was thinking about that, though, and, and it's funny because, you know, I, I thought about that phrase, you are what you eat, and in a very real sense, those cows are eating sweet chocolate, and they're producing some very sweet meat, right, that people are just eating up, and they're paying lots of money for it. You know, if we want to produce sweet spiritual fruit in our lives, then we need to spend time with Jesus, right? We need to spend time with Jesus. But looking up isn't just about reading your Bible and praying, all right? Um, it's, I think it's better summed up in one word, and that word is called abiding. Anybody heard the word abiding before? No? We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, our text is going to be John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11. John 15, 1 to 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some on the table in front of you. Feel free to pick one of those up. Um, and John is the fourth gospel. It's after, after Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the New Testament. So I'm going to read that, and it'll also be on the screen behind me. So let's read what God's Word says. This is the words of Jesus. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. That phrase, abide in me, that Jesus says, I thoroughly believe that every single disappointment, uh, every single difficulty that we have in our spiritual life comes from our failure to do that. It comes from our failure to abide in Jesus. See, many people respond to Jesus' initial call. His initial call is, is come unto me, right? Come to me, all of you who weary and are, weary and are heavy laden. Many people respond to that initial call, come unto me, but they don't respond to the call, abide in me, remain in me. That's what that word means, abide, means to remain. Uh, Andrew Murray, he's a, he was a pastor uh, way back in the day, like the 1600s, and he wrote an entire book on this passage that I just read called Abide in Christ. It's really good, by the way. You should uh, pick it up. He said, he said it, it, it's kind of like we're uh, somebody who was invited into a king's castle who's content to stand at the doorway rather than venture all the way inside to enjoy the lavish decor and the food and the, the company of the king. We just, we just kind of step right inside and then we just stay there in the foyer, in the entryway, and we don't really venture all the way inside the castle. I know that uh, there's some people here this morning that are disappointed. You're disappointed in your relationship with God. Uh, you, you don't hear his voice. You don't feel like you know him, you don't experience his power, maybe you, you don't really experience answered prayer or spiritual fruit or boldness, things like that. And then there's, there's other of you 
uh, in here who you might not describe yourself as disappointed, but you're hungry. You want more of those same things. Um, you don't want to just settle for where you're at. You're longing for more of Jesus. You long to walk in the power of the Spirit to experience intimacy with God. Whoever you are, the answer is found in one simple command, abide in me. This morning, what I want to do is I want to stir your affections for Jesus. That's what this message is about. This morning isn't about getting you to read your Bible or to make yourself pray in the mornings just for the sake of reading your Bible and praying. Bible reading and prayer are good things, but they are a means to an end, okay? They are not the ultimate goal, right? The ultimate goal is that we would know Christ, that we would abide in Christ. Bible reading and prayer are, are means through which we can do that. They're, they're, you know, we, we hear from God in His Word as we read the Bible. We can talk to God in prayer, and He will talk back to us as we meditate. But they are a means to an end. They are not the goal. And so I want you guys to understand and see that, okay, this morning. So my prayer is that God's Word would move your heart to desire to remain in Jesus' presence. Not that you would be moved to desire to read your Bible and pray just because. I want your heart to be moved to desire to be in Jesus' presence, to abide in Him. And then you'll read your Bible and pray because you want Him, all right? So before I... We're going to get to what that actually looks like, what abiding actually looks like, but I wanted to kind of explain this analogy of the vine and the branches that Jesus uses here first and give you some, some background. This is really, really cool stuff, all right? I was, I've been excited to share this with you because I got really jazzed up as I was studying this passage this past week, and so track with me here. This is really cool. So, so check this out. Verse 8 in John 15 is a key verse. It's where Jesus says, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, all right? So Jesus says, what glorifies God is when you bear fruit, right? When you, when you bear the fruit of Christ's likeness. Now, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, we remember in Genesis 1.28, it says that God created male and female, in the image of God, He created them, and, and then He gave us a charge. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, Right? And what did God want us to fill the earth with when he said, be fruitful and multiply? People who are made in whose image? God's image, right? His glory, right? He wanted us to fill the earth with his, with his image, with his glory, because we were made in his image. Now, we all know the story. That did not happen, did it? Right? You don't get two chapters into the Bible before Adam and Eve sin, right? Sin enters into the world, and instead of God's image being multiplied, in Genesis chapter 6, we see that evil was multiplying across the face of the earth, all the way at Genesis 6. So what does God do? Well, he chooses a people for himself, the people of Israel, right? He chooses Israel as his vine, okay? It actually is, that's one of the metaphors that's used for Israel in the Old Testament is the vine. A people who would live righteously by following his laws and being a blessing to the nations by revealing to God, by revealing God to them. But the problem is, is once again, Israel did not do what God called them to do. They did not keep God's law. In fact, listen to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. Here's what God says to the people of Israel. He says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. 
He looked for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. Just a few verses before that, I think you can see it. It says, he, he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. He was looking for fruit, but all that came forth was bad fruit. So Isaiah goes on later in his, this very same book, he goes on to describe uh, that uh, because Israel, the vine of Israel has failed, there needed to be a Messiah that comes. And he says in chapter 11, uh, verse 5, Isaiah says that uh, the Messiah is going to come and righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness will be his sash. So unlike the people of Israel who could not live righteously and they were not faithful to God, this Messiah, he will wear righteousness as a belt. And he will have faithfulness as a sash. And then we see Jesus in John 15, 1. What are the first words out of his mouth? What does he say? He says, I am the what? The true vine. I am the true vine. Jesus is the one who came to do what we could not do. Jesus is the one that came to do what what Israel failed to do. We couldn't keep the law. We couldn't be righteous in God's sight in our own power. We needed a Savior to come and do it for us, and that was Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life, and then He died for our sins, even though He was innocent, and He rose from the dead. That's the gospel. And whoever hears His word is made clean, like He says in verse 3. Because Jesus is the only righteous one, the true vine who bears fruit, it is only by being connected to Him that we can bear fruit. Does that make sense? We cannot bear fruit. On our own. We've tried and we've failed. Only Jesus was righteous. Only He could bear fruit that was pleasing to God. So the only way we can do that as branches is we got to be connected to that vine. We have to be connected to the true vine. It's the only way. Now, the question becomes, now, what is fruit? If branches cannot bear fruit apart from the vine and fruit bearing is what we were created to do as branches, well, what is fruit? What does that look like? Well, there's several different uh, times we see fruit uh, used in the New Testament. We see fruit referring to the fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody know? Absolutely, yeah. So those are all all qualities of of Christ-likeness, right? Love, yeah. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. We also see fruit, uh, Jesus says in John 4, fruit can be new believers, right? So when you share the gospel and and we multiply, right? Christians multiply across the face of the earth. Well, does that not ring a bell? Back to Genesis 1.28, right? We're going back to, you know, God's restoring his original design. Uh, Fruit is also Christ-likeness. In Philippians, Paul prays, uh, listen to what he prays for the Philippians in uh, chapter 1. He says, Uh, that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Does that not sound like John 15? By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Don't you just love how the Bible is like all connected? Like, isn't that awesome? Like, we were just in Genesis, we were in Isaiah, we were in John, we were in Philippians. I mean, we took all the genres we could get And we see the same theme running throughout it all. That's incredible to me. That's incredible. So, God is restoring through the new vine, which will bear fruit for His glory. God is restoring creation through the new vine, which will bear fruit for His glory 
and the joy of the branches. His image is once again being multiplied across the face of the earth, all right? So in summary, abiding in Christ is the only way to bear fruit, and fruit is the evidence of that salvation. Does that make sense? That makes sense? If you're not connected to the vine, you're not going to have any fruit. If you have fruit, it means that you're connected to the vine. And then Jesus says, if you do bear fruit, guess what? The vine dresser, the father, he's going to prune you so that you can bear more fruit. How many people think pruning feels good? Does it tickle? No, it doesn't. Pruning can be a painful process at times, right? Because you're actually clipping off like dead parts of the branches, right? You got to do that. Uh, This uh, past summer, our tree in our front yard was just a a mess. There were limbs like hanging down and going this way and that way, and it was was a mess. So what I did, if you want to have a good canopy on the trees, I went out and I, I cut off some of these wayward limbs, right? You also want to cut off dead limbs, especially if you have a fruit tree, because the dead branches are going to keep the healthy branches from bearing more fruit, right? So the Father is going to prune the branches that do bear fruit, and the branches that do not bear fruit, He will remove so that they won't hinder the healthy growth of the other branches. So basically what Jesus is saying is this, there's only two possibilities, fruit or fire, fruit or fire. There's no in between, okay? We must abide in Jesus because He is our source of life, and it's by grace through faith in Him alone that anybody is saved. Apart from Him, we're a dead branch. That's it. So I hope I've convinced you at this point that abiding in Christ is critical, right? So that's what that was the first that that we I wanted to get us to first base, okay? So abiding in Christ is critical. I hope I've convinced you of that. But now the question is, what does it mean to abide? So the way I want to answer this question is this: first, I want to tell you what it does not mean to abide, what what it does not look like to abide. So number one, abiding is not a branch with no fruit. Abiding is not a branch with no fruit. Here's what I mean. There are some branches that produce no fruit, and yet they believe that they are a part of the vine. Let me translate that for you. There are some people who have no evidence of salvation in their lives, who produce no fruit, and yet they claim to be Christians, and they claim to be a part of the church. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus said in Matthew 7, you will know them by their fruit. So I'll just ask some simple questions. Is your life characterized by righteousness? A love for God's word? The fruit of the spirit? Or is your life characterized by sexual immorality? Idolatry? Unforgiveness? Selfishness? Here's the deal. Don't deceive yourself. Like, don't lie to yourself about the answer to this question. You're not hurting anybody but you. It doesn't hurt me when you lie to yourself about this question, it hurts you. Just be honest with yourself about this question. The worst thing that you could do is stick your head in the sand and say, I'll be okay. Everything's going to work out in the end. Don't do that. Don't do that. Here's the deal. If this is you this morning and you'd go, you know what? I really don't know if I'm bearing much fruit of righteousness right now. Then today's sermon and, and, and looking up, looking up does no benefit for you if you're not connected to the vine, because you can't produce fruit being connected to the vine. So the first step for you is you need to get connected to the vine this morning. You need to turn from your sin, and you need to call on Jesus to save you, and you need to surrender your life to him wholly and completely. You need to get yourself connected to the vine, and then you'll bear fruit as a natural byproduct. I'm not telling you this morning if you're, if you're not bearing fruit to go home and try really hard to read your Bible tonight and spend some time praying. That's not going to save you. 
Here's what, if you try to bear fruit when you're not connected to the vine, it's, it's basically like trying to staple fruit to a dead tree. And, and you're, what's going to happen is your fruit will rot along with you. That's what will happen. Don't do that. Call upon the name of Jesus and be saved this morning. The only, and, and let me clarify this too. The only way that you will be cut off is if you refuse to come to Jesus and abide. You know, I don't want some of you to, to hear this and think, well, oh no, man, I did something unloving yesterday. Does that mean that I'm not saved? Here's the deal. This warning right here in verse 6 where, where Jesus says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and they're gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. That's not a warning for Christians. That's a warning for people that think that they're Christians and they're not, okay? That's not a warning for believers. It's primarily a warning for unbelievers, all right? That's why that's there. It's not there to scare believers. It's not there to, to scare you into reading your Bible and praying more. Like, if you miss your quiet time tomorrow morning, like, God's going to come and chop you up and toss you into the fire. That's not what that means, okay? Here's, here's the other. Uh, so, abiding is not a branch with no fruit, but abiding is also not a branch apart from the vine. Here's what I mean by that. There are some branches that are connected to the vine but they distress themselves by trying to bear fruit in their own strength to please the vine. In other words, after being saved by grace, they're now trying to stay in God's good graces by their own good works. And it's like a person who lives or dies by their own obedience or disobedience to God's word on any given day. If I wake up on time this morning and have a good quiet time and I take the opportunity to share the gospel with that person at work, I feel really confident in my salvation today. But tomorrow, if I miss my quiet time and I shrink back and I don't share the gospel, all of a sudden I don't even know if I'm saved anymore. That's not God's will for you. His will is that you would know that you are saved every day, even on the days when you mess up. And you, and you just, you blow it. We're going to have days when we blow it, church. You're going to have days when you blow it. You're going to have weeks when you blow it. Seasons in your life where you're just messing up big time. That's what grace is for, right? It's undeserved. Andrew Murray said this about, about people who tend to, to go that way. He says, they believe that conversion is God's work, but in gratitude to God, it is their work to live as Christians and follow Jesus. But here's what that does. That makes abiding burdensome, not restful, Right? Now, coming to Jesus is, is a chore. It's not a delight anymore. It's something you have to do if you want to be saved, not something you get to do because you're already saved and nothing can change that, right? Jesus has a remedy for this. What's his remedy? It's verse 3. It's verse 3. What does he say? Already you are clean because of what? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. He didn't say, you're clean because you produced a lot of fruit yesterday, did he? He didn't say, you're clean because you've got fruit of the Spirit in your life. He didn't say that. He said, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you, because of the gospel. So again, verse 6 is not a warning for believers. It's a warning for unbelievers. Here's the deal. People are not stirred up to abide in Jesus by threat, right? People are stirred up to abide in Jesus, to, to, to worship him, to long for him by the beauty of Jesus, right? God woos us, just like we see in the book of Hosea. God woos us. Abiding 
essentially what, what abiding means is it, it, it means to treasure, to love, to trust, to cling to. It, it, it literally, the definition means to remain, but it, it's almost like um, if you were trying to hug a, a, a tree in the middle of a hurricane, right, to keep from being blown away, and you're just grabbing that thing as tight as you can, that's your lifeline. It's, here's an analogy that might help. It, it's kind of like if you were to be dropped into the middle of the Sahara Desert and you had a canteen of water that you were given, and you're dropped in the middle all by yourself, and you don't know where you are. If anybody doesn't know, the Sahara Desert is really, really big, and there's no water. It's really dry, right? And you've got this canteen of water. Well, abiding in Jesus is clinging to him like you'd cling to that canteen of water after you were dropped in the Sahara Desert. Apart from him, you will die. You need him. You don't Cling to the canteen out of obligation. You don't think, oh man, I wish I didn't have to lug this stupid thing around with me. It really doesn't give me any freedom to, to walk and it's making my shoulder tired and I wish I could just throw this. No, that's your most precious possession in the desert, right? The last thing you're going to let go of is that can- canteen of water. That's what abiding in Jesus looks like. He's your everything. He's your treasure. He's your lifeline. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 13. He tells a parable of, uh, of hidden treasure. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who's walking through a field. And while he's walking through this field, he discovers this, this buried treasure, a chest of treasure. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is here. And so in his joy, he goes back home and he sells everything that he owns so that he can buy that field. Why? Because he knows, he knows what's in that field. Nobody else knows, but he does. He knows there's treasure there. I'm sure his friends and his family thought he was insane. You're doing what? You're selling your house and your donkey and your cart for that field? Why? That's what it looks like a lot of times when we sell everything that we own to follow Jesus to the watching world. But we know. We know there's treasure. We know there's treasure. Practically, this abiding that I'm talking about, it it, it looks like seeking God and prayer and scripture. So when we say look up, what we're saying is abide. That's what we mean. When we pray because we treasure Jesus, we read the Bible because we love him. We long for his presence because we believe Psalm 1611 that in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We do that because we believe that. There, I want to show you in just a second a video I think this video, it's a video of some Christians in China who did not have access to Bibles, and they're getting their first shipment of Bibles ever. And this is what, it, this is what abiding looks like. This is what treasuring Christ looks like. Just take a look at this video real quick. Thank you. 
That's what abiding looks like. I just feel like we're we just don't get it sometimes here. We don't. We're so rich. We're so fat on the world. We we're selling our souls for junk. For junk. We're 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 trading away Jesus for because we want to have sex with somebody outside of marriage. We're, we're throwing the gospel away because we'd rather watch Netflix than spend time in the presence of God. We're casting aside the word of God, something that people get executed for because they hide it under their floors in other parts of the world, and we're throwing it away. For what? For So that we won't be inconvenienced for more sleep at night. So that I can get eight hours instead of six. I want you guys so bad. And I myself too. Look, I'm not sitting here pointing fingers at you saying, you know, like, why are you doing this? Like, it's me too, guys. This is, a, this is an indictment on the church as a whole in North America. Because the reality is, in, in general, it's just going over our heads. It's going over our heads. We could learn a lot from the from the poor, poor, very poor church in China and in other parts of the world. That's what abiding looks like. That's that's what bears fruit. Like we talk about how I, I, I want to see God move in my life. I want answered prayer in my life. I want to see fruit when I go out and evangelize. I want to see miracles. I want to see the power of God, but we don't want to do that. We want eight hours of sleep more than we want to wake up in the morning and spend time in the presence of God. Church, I'm telling you, if we want to see those things, they are available to us. But Jesus said that one word, if, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my word abides in you. These things I'm telling you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There is nothing standing between us and that sweet fruit except us. This is an open invitation this morning for every one of us. It's an open invitation for all of us. Here's the deal. I'm, I'm going to switching some things up. Jesus says in verse 11, look, this is, this is what I want to stir your affection right here, okay? Because like I said, we can't be threatened into loving anybody, right? I want you to see Jesus as, as beautiful and more valuable than anything else because he is. That's been my prayer leading up to this week. And I can't make you do it. Only he can do that. He says in verse 11, he says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Here's what this means. God's glory and your joy are not at odds. Do you realize that? Most of the time, most people think the opposite. Most people think, I have to make a choice between pleasing God 
or having fun. I have to make a choice between pleasing God and being happy because really the things that make me happy are the things that God doesn't like. The things that make me happy are movies and Netflix and dating boys or girls and going off and doing this or that. That's what makes me happy. God does not make me happy. Here's what I'm telling you. That stuff's not going to make you happy. It's, it's cheap joy. It's counterfeit. I, um, I, I was deployed in Kuwait uh, in all of 2009 for Operation Iraqi Freedom. We'd go to these markets, and they'd sell, uh, like, knockoff Rolexes or knockoff Louis Vuitton and stuff. And it looked just like the real thing, except you get, like, a Rolex for, like, 20 bucks. And so, obviously, you know, like, we're not stupid. Like, we're like, that's not a real Rolex. There's no way, because it's $20. And, but here's the deal. Like, the, those Rolexes, it, it was easy to get the knockoff ones because they're cheap. It was easy. But the real thing is much more costly, isn't it? There's a higher price to pay if you want a real Rolex. There's a higher price to pay if you want a real Louis Vuitton bag. But who wants to walk around with a knockoff Rolex? Who wants to walk around with a fake Louis Vuitton bag, acting like you're something that you're not? Like, I mean, if you're going to have it, at least get the real thing, right? Man, I just hope that you guys will see the other stuff that you could go after, there's not fullness of joy found in it. Jesus is saying this to you not to take away your joy, not to take away your happiness. He's saying, no, joy is found in me, not in that stuff. That stuff might make you feel good for a temporary time, but you're going to have to keep going to it and going to it and going to it, just like an addict. Anybody ever seen a drug addict try to get off heroin? I have. Anybody ever sat with one? You know what they have to do to keep from getting dog sick? They got to keep putting more. They got to stick another needle in the arm. They got to keep pumping poison into their body just so that they don't feel like they're going to die. That's what we do with sin. We just, we just have to keep pouring more and more of this garbage into our lives that's, that's killing us spiritually, and we can't stop. We have to keep up in the ante, and we got to get more and more out there with our sin. Jesus offers freedom from it. You don't have to keep sticking the needle of sin in your arm anymore. You don't have to do it. There's freedom in him. There is fullness of joy in his presence. In Jesus, you get the joy of answered prayer, like I said earlier. I mean, if that's not a stunning promise, I don't know what it is. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. He means what he says. Right? And a key part of that is if you abide in me and my word abides in you, right? So if his word is abiding in us, then we'll know what his will is. We'll be able to pray according to God's will, right? We're not going to ask God for a Jaguar or a, a Rolex, right? We'll, we'll, we'll have the desires. We'll desire the things that God desires. We'll, we'll love the things that God loves. We'll detest the things that God detests. We'll have his heart. And Jesus, you get fruit, Christ-likeness, your character becomes like his. And most of all, in, in Jesus, you get God. Like, like the greatest prize of the gospel is that you get God, the one who made you, the one in whom your soul is satisfied, the glorious one, the one that I don't even have words to describe to you how glorious he is. There are no words to describe to you how great he is. And how glorious he is. If you want that, then abide in Jesus because it's yours. Psalm 27, 8 
the psalmist David is writing, and, and he, this is what he says to God. He says, God, you said to me, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O God, do I seek. I want each of you to know this morning, all eyes up here, look at me. God is saying to every single one of you this morning, seek my face. What is your heart saying back to heaven? My prayer for you is that your heart would say, your face, oh God, do I seek. I want to close with a couple of um, practical things. Practical things that you can do to begin stirring your affections for Jesus. Spending time with him. Number one, schedule a quiet time. Schedule a quiet time, okay? And, and I'll say this, preferably in the mornings. No, it's not a command in the Bible, but I'm just going to tell you every man of God that uh, I know and woman of God that I know and admire and that I've seen, uh, they start their day off. They give the first fruits of their time to God in the mornings. Um, if it means you have to lose, you know, an hour of sleep or whatever, like, you know, that's between you and the Lord. But here's the deal. Like, first, you got to schedule it because if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you don't schedule it, it's just not going to happen, right? But follow Jesus' example. Mark 135, early in the morning before the sun was up, he went out to a desolate place to pray, to meet with the Father. And, you know, maybe, maybe you look at your schedule and you're like, yeah, but it's so full, I'm busy. Right, I know. But remember, Jesus is your canteen of water in the desert, okay? You wouldn't drop your canteen so that you could carry two bags of sand with you to bring home as souvenirs, would you? So don't carry around bags of sand. Carry your canteen and drop the bag of sand. Secondly, turn off the noise. Turn off the noise. This is one that I have to be very conscious about in my life. The, the average American, did you know that the average American, and, and this I, is pretty, Canada is pretty similar as well, uh, we spend 608 hours a year on social media. 608 hours a year on social media. We spend, the average uh, person spends 1,642 hours a year watching TV or streaming television, either on their computer or on TV. The average. Some people probably spend like 10,000. Did you know that if you spent 417 hours a year reading, that the average person could read 100 books in a year? So like, that means like if we spent the same amount of time reading as we did watching TV, you could read like three to 400 books in a year, which is insane, right? But it's, here's the deal. It's not the big sins, really, that kill our affections for Jesus. It's not the biggies. It's not like, you know, murder or, you know, adultery or things like that. I mean, yes, certainly those things will kill our affections for Jesus, but, but the things that really kill our affection for Jesus uh, are, it's the drone of a thousand little distractions that make us spiritually numb. It's just, the, just a thousand little things that kind of get in there and we just get numb to the things of God. We're entertaining ourselves to spiritual death in North America. We really are. We really are. So cut off the TV. Make, maybe make quiet hours at your house in the evenings, like where you say, okay, from 7 to 9 p.m., there's, there's not going to be TV or whatever. Or uh, maybe it's, you know, put your phone in the other room when you're having a quiet time. Whatever it is that distracts you, for me, it's my laptop. I have to put my laptop in another room separate from where I do quiet time because I know if I don't, when I wake up in the morning, I want to go check the sports scores and I want to go check my email and I want to check Facebook. So I have to physically move it out of the room. So do things like that, and it'll help you to turn off the noise. Thirdly, accept help. 
accept help. Here's what I mean. Perhaps reading is a, struggling, is a struggle for you uh, or prayer. So there's options for you. If, if reading, if you find reading is just difficult, there's an audio Bible on the Bible app that you can download. Uh, super easy. You just download the Bible app and you can listen to the Bible. Um, there, you can get a study Bible. Uh, study Bibles like this one right here that I have. So it's got the text right here. But then it's got study notes down there that'll help explain things to you and explain concepts maybe that you might read a word like, you know, you're like, Jeroboam, who's Jeroboam? I don't know what that is, right? Well, it's going to tell you who Jeroboam is, and it'll help you learn more. Or, or heck, if that's even too much, get a children's Bible. There's no shame in that. Like, seriously, it's like, it'll break it down for you, right? Get a children's Bible. There's nothing wrong with that. Just get into the Word. Uh, another option is stages. And if you're struggling with reading the Bible or prayer, Get into a discipleship relationship with somebody. Ask your disciple maker these questions that you have, right? Like if you're having str- trouble understanding a certain part of the Bible, that's what we're here for. That's what the church is for, right? Like so if you haven't signed up for stages, sign up and we'll get you partnered with somebody who will disciple you, who will spend time with you. And just one more resource that's cool is uh, The Bible Project, uh, www.thebibleproject.com. They have... They've made a video on every single book of the Bible that gives like a 10-minute overview of the book, and it's really cool. It's animated. Yeah, it's right there. So if you ever just want to get an overview snapshot of any book of the Bible, you can go on there. Really, really, really good stuff. I use it sometimes in my sermon prep, okay? Here's the, here's the last thing. Learn the discipline of meditation and memorization. This is hard for us. This is hard for us because we don't turn off the noise, because we live in this fast food culture. We want fast internet, fast cars, and fast food, right? We want fast everything. And we, we like things with instant results, right? We don't like to wait. But the Bible tells us we need to wait upon the Lord. Look, if you, want, if you want to experience the power and presence of God in your life, you're going to have to learn to wait upon the Lord. Because I honestly think that um, there's some things that he's just going to withhold from us for a little while because he's going to wait and see. Are we going to seek him? You know, are we going to seek his face? Um, meditation is simply thinking deeply. Um, you know, so give the word time to do its work in your heart. Uh, don't rush through your quiet time. Find, a, find one verse maybe in your Bible reading or, or one concept even, and just focus on that and think about it for five minutes. Ask questions. Pepper, pepper it with questions. Why this word? What does this word mean? What does that word mean? You know, who's, who's speaking here? Who's he writing to? You know, what does this tell me about God? Uh, are there any commands to obey or examples to follow? Ask, you know, ask questions of the text that you're reading, and that'll help you meditate on it. Um, another great way to meditate is memorize. Memorize Scripture. Um, you'll just know it better, and it'll be on your heart. Um, Anthony Hopkins is an actor, and uh, to memorize a script for a movie that he's in, he, what he'll do is he'll read his script 100 to 200 times out loud, and he'll make notes in the margins, and by the end, he's got the whole movie script down. A whole script. And now, a script, I mean, we're talking like the book of John. <laughs> like, that's a lot of text, right? So, if he can do that, why can't we, you know? Like, theoretically, like, guys, you make a goal. Make a big goal. I'll tell you what I'm doing. Um, I had started memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7 a while ago, and I stopped after chapter 5. One of my goals this year is to memorize that whole thing. So I'm going to memorize Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Um, And a great way to do it is like this. Keep reading it out loud over and over again. 
make notes in the margins, you know, like whatever you got to do, whatever helps you. If you need to write it over and over again, do that. But pick a large chunk of scripture and memorize it. All right, so here's the deal. Again, just a final reminder. All those things that I just told you, right, they're, they're not really going to be any good if you're doing them because you think that by reading your Bible more, by praying more, that God will be more pleased with you. That's, uh, again, if you heard that this morning, then I failed. I failed you if that's what you heard. What I, what I hope you heard this morning is that abiding is about seeking the face of God. It's about desiring and treasuring Jesus, about seeing that there really is fullness of joy in him and not in anything else. And that, and that one of the ways we can come into his presence is by getting into his word and praying. So prioritize that. If you desire him, if you would say this morning, like, I want Jesus. I want to know him more. I, I long for Christ's likeness in my life. I long for the power of God. I long to, to see miraculous answers to prayer. I want to see people saved in my life. I, I long for these things. Then, friends, I'll tell you, this is the first step. We've got to look up to God, or we will not be able to light the way to life-changing encounters with God and life-giving relationships with other people. We won't be disciples that do what Jesus did in the same spirit that Jesus did it. We've got to, light, we've got to look up to God. I hope that you'll do that uh, moving forward this week.